Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Jake Lefave. I'm joined, as always, uh, by Brett Landry, lead pastor, senior pastor here at Christ City Church, South Vancouver. And today we're excited to welcome our guest, uh, Dr. Ross Hastings, who's the professor of theology at the local Regent College. Uh, Dr. Hastings, it is good to be with you today. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. I was just going to say, if I don't get the chance to say this later, I really appreciate um, you guys in your ministry and uh, all that you're doing for your churches and, and, and for the uh, mission of God in this city of Vancouver. Oh, thanks. That's, it's, in, it, it's always encouraging to, uh, to have a conversation with you, but we appreciate, uh, appreciate that encouragement from you as well. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been talking about in the middle of this season, uh, we're in the pandemic, we're you know, recording this on June the 9th, we're nearly three months into our lives completely changing in Vancouver, and indeed the whole globe has been transformed by uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, you, uh, Dr. Hastings, are uh, uh, involved in, in the science world, involved in the theological world. You're, you're, I'm sure, answering questions on both fronts. But one of the things that I know you and I have talked about before and I've heard you teach before uh, is, is with re- regard to something called theodicy. And I'm hoping that you yeah. can just give us a bit of an insight into what that large theological term means and, uh, and how we might be, be considering that right now in the, in the midst of asking a lot of big questions. Like we're asking, I know a lot of people are asking a lot of big questions uh, with relationship to you know, untold amount of deaths around the world and, and the entire global economy plus the relationality and, and uh, you know, our distancing measures and the way that we relate to one another now. I mean, everything has changed in the last three months in our whole world. And um, I, I, why, why God? is a question that's being asked. Um, where are you, God, yeah. is a question that's being asked. And uh, we do believe that Scripture speaks to these things. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, would you open the, the theological window to us uh, about how we might understand this biblically, particularly with regard to what is called theodicy? Yes, I'm happy to do that, Brett. Theodicy is a description um, of one aspect of theology that seeks to account for the presence of evil in the world. Um, how is it possible that um, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-loving, um, how come there's still evil in the world? And um, theologians have been wrestling with this question for centuries, and I believe there are some good answers, um, you know, uh, but for me, the ultimate answer lies in the fact that God himself has come uh, into our world in the person of Jesus Christ and has suffered with us and for us. Um, and he will make things good uh, in the end. And in accordance with his uh, covenant of grace, he will, he will, he has, he has good things in mind for his creation. From our perspective as human beings, we don't always see that. We can't always understand what God is doing in the world. But um, in history, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, became human for us. Um, entered into our sufferings, um, wept with, uh, with Mary and Martha um, at the tomb of Lazarus, and ultimately went to a cross where uh, he experienced uh, extreme suffering and ultimately put death to death. Um, as Hebrews says, through death he has destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Um, so the answer for me is always Christological. It has to do with Jesus Christ. Um, 
I mean, there are there are arguments called best of the, uh, the, the best of all worlds, for example, that this, um, there could have been a world in which um, you know God uh, there could have been a world in which God made robots who all worshipped Him, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't reveal the glory of God. It doesn't reveal the grace of God. Uh, God created a world in which I'm certain he knew there would be failure and sin. But his first thought for humanity and for creation was redemption through Jesus Christ and um, reconciliation of all things in Jesus Christ. And one day, uh, in light of what Jesus has done, all will be made well. Uh, there will be uh, the second coming of Christ and then so much of the injustices that we experience in the world um, will be made right, and uh, Jesus will reign in a fuller and final sense in, in that day. And um, I love the book of Revelation, which talks about the fact that there will be no more crying, no more weeping, no more tears. Uh, the old order of things will pass away. Um, we will be comforted in our incredible sufferings. And this has been a really interesting and uh, grievous time, obviously, in the history of the world. Um, it, it's comforting for me to know that God gets it in Jesus Christ and that he's doing, he, he will ultimately make all things new and all things right. So the, the, the big idea that we're looking at then is the, the reality that we do serve a God who is acquainted with our grief, who is acquainted yeah. with our suffering, and that as yeah. we suffer as individuals and as communities and as, as people, uh, as a people, uh, corporately even, we suffer in different ways, that, that we're not talking to a God who is indifferent. And so I, over the history of, of you know, human thought, there have been lots of different ways to try and explain away the problem of evil and explain yeah. away the nature of human suffering um, in, in a way. I mean, theodicy, our theodicies, maybe if, if, I, if I could phrase it that way, are are aiming at vindicating God in some sense from the problem of evil. But what you're saying is, is that actually our God is well acquainted with evil because he came and suffered on our behalf. Yes, I think I also want to say that God is transcendent, and we, we are not. Um, we are finite, we are human, and our attempts to understand what God is doing in the world are always going to fall, uh, fall, fall, fall short. And I think what I would really warn people about is not to have kind of um, reductionistic, simple ways of accounting for what's happening and say, well, this must mean the judgment of God. This must maybe not mean the judgment of God. And I'm reminded of Jesus' words to in Luke 13 um, when he spoke uh, about people who had, who had uh, suffered as a result of the collapse of the Tower of Siloam and uh, the sort of contemporary feel amongst the Jewish people was that was because they were being punished by God. And, um, and Jesus removes that reductionistic reasoning, takes it away, and he says, no, but unless you, all, you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, they aren't especially guilty, and we have no way of understanding why um, some people suffer and, and other people, people don't, why some people get the virus and some people don't. It's within the mysterious sovereignty of God and we don't need to use reductionistic answers. In fact, what Jesus said is that you all should repent in light of these challenging times. Um, all of you make sure you have a relationship with God um, that's authentic and, um, and respond to his grace and love uh, in Christ Jesus. That, that, that's, that's our duty, not to come up with 
um, with answers. However, having said that, I mean, there are ways of viewing God and his relationship with the creation, creation which theology has been um, working on for years, and perhaps I'll just go through a few of those. Um, and all of them have, have kind of in mind the idea of a theodicy, that is that um, they allow, um, say, certain freedom to the creature. Um, because if you say that God is... Um, the, uh, he is a deterministic God, the deterministic determiner, um, and you negate completely the agency of the creature. Um, as, as Kevin Van Hooser said, he says, God's will or agency and human agency are locked into a zero-sum game in which there can only be one survivor. Um, and the trouble with that viewpoint, that extreme divine um, uh, deterministic view, is it allows no freedom for the creature, no agency for the creature, and therefore we have to end up blaming God for all evil. Um, so that's, that's, that's one view, um, and not a very satisfactory uh, view. Um, the other, another viewpoint that's been taken down through the history of the, the world has been deism. Deism was quite popular during the time of the discovery of science in the 17th, 18th, 19th century, even by Christian scientists. Um, they said God is really uninterested and distant. He allows creation just to unwind. He has wound up the clock, and now he's just allowing the creation to unwind. Uh, one would call this a naturalistic view. Um, and the difficulty with that view, of course, is that the Bible tells us that uh, by the Spirit and in the Son, God is constantly at work in his creation. Um, he works all things after the counsel of his will. The Spirit um, hovers over the creation. The Son, um, is, uh, all, uh, all creation is in him and, and comes to its fruition through him. So deism isn't very satisfactory either. There are others who think of God as sort of merely influencing the world from a distance, sometimes called the weak divine authorship view. God simply provides stimulation and guidance and allows um, human authors, uh, human uh, agents to be completely free and say atoms to be also completely free without any um, too much influence upon them. And uh, this unfortunately makes God really to be, as the title suggests, a weak God who's not really engaged in providence in bringing all things uh, to fruition in accordance with the divine covenant, the covenant of grace. Um, and so the, the view that I hold myself, which I find to be helpful, is sometimes called the concursus view. The what? And I need to which, say, say that again for us? Yeah, concursus. Um, it's the idea that by grace, um, God does allow agency to his creatures, be it an atom or an electron or human persons, allows them to have freedom within his freedom um, by analogy. So, um, this is the idea that God is constantly present all the time to his creatures, and, um, but it emphasizes that God is not an impersonal cause. God is personally involved in the Son and by the Spirit at every moment of creation's history, yet in a way that preserves the creature as creature and yet preserves um, this relationship as an asymmetric one, one in which the Lord is the one who governs his creation according to his covenant of grace. So God is not an impersonal causal force manipulating puppets, 
but as a personal communicative agent in lordly mm. covenantal relationship yeah. with the agents um, that he creates through, or even, for example, the writing of scripture happens through personal agents that God allows to be who they are. Mm. Um, you know, the more one finds the sort of, there is mystery in this for sure. This is paradox. But uh, I often say in one of the courses I teach at, at, at Regent, um, I told a ministry that the more you're under the Lordship of Christ, the more yourself you feel you are. Um, you are made more yourself by being in relationship with him. Ross, and what, what I want to drive at is, so in pastoring people, I mean, I mean, I've thought about this stuff a little bit, not as much as, as you have, and, and, and that's obvious in my own brain right now, uh, b- but in terms of pastoring people, what is the default view that you encounter in your pastoral ministry that most people have when it comes to the question of uh, why does God allow bad things to happen? Like, like what is, what is the, like, the initial response? Yeah, so, so what I'm coming to here is my answer to them is, in a very profound way, God is to them present as Father, mm-hmm. Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, this, how, how, does, how does God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, work? The, the, the Father sent the Son and sent the Spirit, and the Son and the Spirit are, are His agents here in the world. Mm but they represent the love of the Father. And so what I, would, what I would tell people is, first of all, nothing happens outside of the providence of God, um, but nothing happens without His presence being there for you. Um, and nothing happens ultimately without uh, it being part of God's purposes for us in God's covenant of grace, um, by means of which uh, He has worked all things after the counsel of His will. Um, so what I'm trying to say on the one hand is I don't believe in synergism so that um, I do my bit and God does his bit. Right. But rather I do, I do it and God is doing it as I do it. And as God does what he's doing, I do it. There's this wonderful concursus. Um, Karl Barth actually spoke of this as, as God accompanying his creation. God is accompanying his creation through all of this. Mm. Um, both the ups and the downs, the hard parts, it's a, as, uh, as he says, a fatherly, uh, fatherly operation. Um, and uh, the Father is with us. The Father is with us by the Son and by the Spirit. And uh, he is, he is uh, working towards things in our lives. Mm. Now, um, Here's some things I would say, you know, you talk about being very pastoral here. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'm going to say to somebody who's uh, really struggling with the tragedy in their lives is not, um, you know, God has caused this and uh, you need to be, uh, you need to uh, sort of um, uh, shape up and, uh, and um, allow him to do his work in you. Right. And in order that in order that he might refine and purify you. That's not what I'm going to say. All I'm going to say is the Father loves you more than you can ever know. Mm. Um, all I can say is Jesus went all the way for you, and now he is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for you. He's touched with the feeling of your infirmities. And all I know is 
I don't know the future, and I don't know what God has in mind for, for this. I don't know what the purpose is. That's not my place to know. But I do know that the Spirit of God um, is in you and uh, is at work in you, and he will um, ultimately bring uh, good out of what seems uh, not so good. Ross, what would you say to the person? So I think ultimately you're acknowledging a certain degree of mystery here, that we are finite yes. creatures, and the Lord is, and the Lord is infinite and glorious and above His creation. Uh, what would you say to the person? Uh, and I know I've had these conversations. I'm sure you've had these too. Who would not be? Who would object uh, to to the uh, to an admission of mystery in all this? Uh, who, who would like yeah. to have their 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 T's crossed and their eyes dotted? How do you how do you help that person? You know, um, first of all, I, w- I would say um, you know, God is God, and you are not. Yeah. And we're not we're not we're not given uh, insights. And I also might point. I, I love the Old Testament stories in particular, uh, and Jacob is one of my favorites. Um, and Jacob, at one point in his life, uh, I think it's the point at which he's lost Joseph, and then he's lost Simeon. They've gone. They've been both been captured by the by the Egyptians, and. And it looks like Benjamin uh, may be next. And Jacob says, all these things are against me. Mm. All these things are against me. And often in the midst of trial and difficulty, illness and tragedy and loss, um, you know, all these things are against me. Is how we feel. As the story of Genesis unfolds, it so turns out that everything that he thought was against him was actually for him. Mm. He just didn't have the insight. Yeah. And if the great patriarch doesn't have the insight, then we don't always have the insight. Yeah. Um, I lost my wife uh, tragically to cancer 11 years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm remarried. I have a, a wonderful um, wife. Uh, and uh, we have eight grandchildren, and uh, we're, we're rejoicing in those grandchildren. Um, God has brought things uh, that have been good. Uh, good things. Uh, at the same time, I don't have the answer as to why did God take my wife away from me um, after 27 years of marriage. Um, and there are times when I think I might have insight into that, but mostly um, I think in all humility we need to come before God and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust. Mm. Um, I don't understand, um, and even I'm angry, and that's okay too. Express your feelings. The Psalms are full of Psalms are full of the feelings of psalmists expressed in um, frustration because they don't understand what's happening in their lives or in the lives of the people of, the people of God. And God apparently is not um, is not threatened by our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, the, our, our place is, I think, to talk to God in prayer and uh, to trust and to know that ultimately. There will be an answer, but there will be no full answer, I think, until we see Jesus. Mm. I'm wondering, Ross, if you can talk a bit about the role of the church in coming alongside those who are suffering and asking these big why questions right now. Um, what is our yeah. responsibility to one another? You know, I think of Job's friends, and Job's friends are often held up as this archetype of of poor friends during suffering. Uh, you know, and they yeah. want to give Job these these sort of maybe pat theological answers. I'm wondering um, if there's some advice you have for us as a church in terms of coming alongside people. Yeah, I mean, Job, Job is a wonderful example of reductionistic answers to evil, and you hear them for 35 chapters. It's quite yeah. tough to hear them. 
Um, he keeps assigning sin to, to Job, and that's not really what's going on. Um, and so there's another another good resource, I think, for people who want to know all the answers. Job um, doesn't get all the answers ever, maybe, but he does get some answers when God reveals himself in his glory in the last few chapters. That's what's so wonderful about that. But um, yeah, I, I honestly think Job's friends, as, as you've already hinted, they did best when they said nothing. Mm-hmm. And that is the best thing a community can do for something is presence. Mm. Um, pastoral care at its best is simply presence, uh, being there, um, and then being there in practical ways uh, that are um, you know, just down-to-earth things. Uh, people, people will enjoy your presence. As a pastor, for example, uh, we often don't have to have all the answers or, or, right. or, or whatever. It's important to seek, seek scripture passages and to pray, to have the right words. But honestly, it's your presence that makes the difference. And I'd say that for the whole people of God, being there for one another um, is, is uh, the ultimate. Um, and if you think about, if you think about Jesus, um, uh, well, the, 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 and, and he speaks of the Holy Spirit as the other comforter, the one who, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. And I think we, by the Spirit, um, can be the hands and feet of Jesus to people by coming alongside them. Mm. Ross, I, I wonder if you could maybe speak to this. We're sort of pressing on the pastoral uh, implication here, but I know there are many who are listening who have felt the pain of this past season and are still feeling the pain of this past season and the current season in a very real and profound way. Um, why, in your opinion and your experience, uh, are people so quick uh, to maybe rush past, you mentioned praying prayers that are full of emotion and are full of like, you know, like the fury and lament of the situation. Uh, wh- why, why maybe culturally, and maybe just with me and my friends, uh, but why are we hesitant to pray those or, or engage in lament in that way? And, and why do we want to go to some sort of uh, pat answer? Like, like wh- what is the, the human impulse that's going on there? Yeah, I, I think some of this is cultural. Um, we're not very good at expressing emotion in church. We've almost been, um, and, and you know, depending on which culture you come from, uh, I come from Scottish culture. Right. <laughs> you know, we're definitely not good. The only time we show emotion is at a soccer game. Right. Um, usually because we're losing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think it's, um, you know, and, 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 and so in church, uh, Oh boy, this is a big topic. On the on the one hand, I love the the transcendence dynamics of worship, mm. um, and you know, um, we are very much in our in our time in the church into the imminent aspects of worship. You know, so imminent by imminent, I, I don't mean uh, soonness. By imminent, I mean. God is present to us, and we value so much the closeness of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit in our lives, and um, we sing many worship songs that that accentuate that. And, and I'm not against those songs, and I think it has a real, uh, it's been it's been a real important dynamic for the church in the last 20, 30 years to rediscover experiential worship and enter into emotion. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we lose the transcendence piece. Mm. Um, so, what's the relevance of this to the question you asked me? You know, I think um, on, on the one hand, the transcendence piece, being still in the presence of God, uh, is needed. 
silence, solitude, um, you know, pipe organs playing hymns that hit the rafters. Um, and, and, and then also in addition, maybe uh, the, the, the worship band that uh, is focused often largely on intimacy and imminence. Um, and those, those, both of those uh, aspects of worship, God is transcendent and God is imminent, we need them both. Um, but in both cases, it is required of us, I think, that we use our affections, that we use our emotions, not use them, maybe that's not the right word, but we are people of affections. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Jonathan Edwards talked so much, and he, he had a whole book on the religious affections and spoke about having lively affections. Um, we can't just sort of sit back and say, um, and not the emotional type. Um, you know, I think that all of us um, are called upon to order our affections and to seek to, for them to be lively by the Holy Spirit, that we might, might both worship God um, in our joy and also call upon him in our distress, in our brokenness. Uh, in our weakness, mm. and we're not very good at that. I, I must say. No, I think there's we have a lot to learn um, in these things, and and sometimes we feel it's not socially acceptable to grieve out loud, or yes. or or even within the church. I mean, I didn't grow up in the church, and so my, yes. my understanding of things is certainly only as an adult in the church. But when I looked around uh, in the particular church that I was in for the first number of years as a Christian, uh, it, it was not a place where you could be okay with not being okay. It, it, it was every, uh-huh. everybody had a smile, and that was how you served God because He's good, and He's gonna, you know, He's gonna make everything yes. good. And 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 there just wasn't a lot of room for grief. There wasn't a lot of room for yeah. pain. Uh, there yeah. was not a, a robust theology of suffering. There was uh, the hesitation to enter into the questions of of saying, God, why would you allow this to to happen? And I'm like, so the, the the imprecatory psalms weren't weren't uh, yes. lifted high. Those were sort of like when David had a bad day and was having a low faith day. Those are the kind of things that came out. It, it wasn't yes. like actually saying, this is how you rightly process the true feelings you have. Uh, this is actually God's plan for you uh, to not just vent to people around you, but to pray those feelings into in, in, into words yes. and, and and even sounds that come out of you as you pray with that level of grief and mourning and and suffering. Yes. And, uh, is there you know we live in this hyper media age where there's just a yes. lot of conversation going on. Um, I mean we're we're now um, into you know uh, a, a couple of weeks past uh, George Floyd being murdered uh, by a police officer in Minneapolis, and so the yes. police officer has now been charged with murder and is being put on trial for this. And there's protests happening all over North America and and indeed the world. Um, there's a lot of anger right now, and you have certain people yeah. in the Christian community who are saying, "Hey, stop being so angry." And at the same time, you've got other people in the Christian community saying, no, no, you need to learn how to be angry. And, and yes. then at the same time, you've got all of it in the middle of it going, so where is God in this? And how do yes. we understand that this cultural moment in light of things like, you know, the, I mean, we're back, to the, we're back to the existence of evil in God's world again. 
Yeah. How are we to make sense of these things? And obviously, this is a complicated issue, but the, 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 the grief and lament and anger and things that rise up within us, we need to have a functionally healthy spiritual and emotional way to process these things together. I, I mean, when you look at Scripture, Ross, how do, you, how do you see us looking at the great evils of our world? And, 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 I mean, what are those things that, and, and beyond, I mean, you, you have suffered much personally in in the sense of, I've heard the the story, um, you know, in, in greater measure in terms of you losing your wife. And I've, I've heard the way that you process that and how God has been present with you in that and how the community has been present with you in that and where there were mistakes along the way. And certainly pastoring for a number of years now, there's, there's, you know, those stories become manifold in the sense that. You see it time and time again. You have a front row seat to the greatest grieving um, yeah. in, in people's personal lives. But then you have something that happens on a societal level that, that calls into question the relationship of the church to the world, that calls into, the, into question God's representative, representatives and, and God's people in the world, and, and how have we engaged in evil. And I mean, there's just a lot of questions right now. I, I, have, I feel like I have more questions than answers at some times. And, yeah, and I'm supposed to be one of those people who know who knows how to point to the answers. Um, you know, maybe would you help us with this and just speak to some of these? these <laughs> sure. No pressure there. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> but yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I. It's um, some of the things we were saying earlier apply equally to this. Um, I think what this uh, this terrible. Um, loss of life, um, you know, inflicted by a, a police person. It's um, a reminder of the ubiquity of human brokenness and depravity. You know, and, and here's, here's where I'm coming from on it. I mean, I grew up in Rhodesia, mm. which is now Zimbabwe, and then I, then I went to university in South Africa, where there was apartheid. Wow. And... Um, I've, I've seen the worst of racism in that context. Um, and I, I do remember coming here to Canada to study chemistry years, years and years ago. And just because I was a white South African, I was assumed by many people I worked with in the chemistry lab that I was automatically racist. Um, and over the years, I began to see, you know, I think in Canada and America, there was a bit of a a super superior attitude towards South Africa and and to Zimbabwe, as if there was no racism here. And I have come to see, I mean, especially in the states, and I've traveled widely in the states. Um, this this has been bubbling up for a long time, and I'm 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 not glad, obviously, of uh, destruction of property, et cetera, et cetera. But I am glad this has come out, and. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, um, yeah, the uh, oh my goodness, I, this uh, this has gone from my memory. His uh, the name of oh Martin Luther King. Yeah, Martin Luther King. Oh my goodness, how could that go from my memory? Martin Luther King and his uh, nonviolence is uh, is so is is incredibly uh, relevant again today in this time, um, and uh, so. You know, when these things spill over the way they do, there's always a criminal element. And um, but in every every in every human heart, there are passions that arise. Um, 
And when these things lie under the surface for a long time in a, in a societal sense, then it's inevitable they're going to, they're going to bubble up. And uh, my prayer is that there will be um, you know, some serious uh, looking at justice issues uh, in, in both, uh, both uh, our, our country. I mean, I'm, I'm a Scot as well. There have been protests um, in solidarity in the UK as well. And um, I, I, I continue to encourage, my, my, my own feeling is to encourage nonviolent protests to express emotion. You said it beautifully, Brett, to be angry in the right way. Mm. And Paul had something to say about that in Ephesians chapter 4, be angry and sin not. Mm-hmm. When you start wrecking property and stealing things, you are starting to sin. Um, the emotion of anger is a very difficult one, I think, for the human heart. And we, um, I think a lot of spiritual maturity, uh, the journey arises around um, both uh, in our in our, our ability to experience anger without expressing it inappropriately or repressing it, and Paul's statement seems to me sort of psychologically rich. Be angry. In other words, you will get angry. Uh, don't try and pretend you don't get angry, and but don't sin. Um, and I think we sin either by suppressing or by uh, or by expressing it out of control. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so how, how do we bring that? emotion of anger um, uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit um, such that it is, uh, it is just and, and righteous anger. One last comment on this issue is uh, it brings to light the, whole, the relevance of Old Testament passages that speak about justice rolling on like a river and uh, do justice, seek mercy, walk humbly with your God. This is, our, this is still our calling. I think the idea that the mission of the church is just evangelism or even just creation care um, is wrong. It's, it's all three things. It's, it's creation care. Um, it is uh, justice by means of the, uh, the Great Commandment as well as the Great Commission. Mm. Ross, I'm wondering, you mentioned evangelism just right there uh, at the end, and I'm wondering um, if you could help our people. We've been talking about the problem of evil, obviously all that's happening in the world and has been happening in the world over the past you know, a few months here. I'm wondering if you can help our people think about how they might answer their friend uh, who is asking them, okay, you believe in God, in a God, uh, and yet all this is happening. Uh, we're not necessarily going to point them to like, you know, these different historical views or walk them through all these different things. Uh, how, how would you help um, us think about this in terms of positioning us evangelistically to our neighbors, to our coworkers who don't know Jesus? How can we talk to them in very practical, simple ways about how God uh, deals with the problem of evil or interacts with the problem of evil? Yeah, so I would say there are good intellectual uh, arguments for uh, how God and evil can exist in the world, mm-hmm. but but uh, that's not where uh, you know. I think I want to begin. I want to end where I started, really, and that is with the place of God in the world. Mm-hmm. Our God is our God. The Christian God is the only God who suffers mm. um, in Christ. He suffers uh, with us. He suffers for us, and um, He will make all things right. Um, there is an eschatological. Um, uh, aspect to the problem of evil. It will only be resolved in a coming day. Um, and so uh, let me tell you about the God. I would, my approach to will be, let, let me tell you about the God who suffers with us, who has suffered with us historically in Christ. Um, he became one with us. Um, he, he, he lived a life of poverty. Mm. 
he, um, he, he endured uh, tremendous suffering for our sin, and uh, he suffered vicariously for us as, as, uh, as a human person and in his death on the cross, and uh, today is alive at the right hand of the Father, able to sympathize with us, and uh, that, that, that's where I would focus um, my attention. Um, you know, you can, you can uh, say some things, I'm sure, about the possibility of, um, you know, this is the best of all possible worlds. Uh, but none of the arguments, I mean, there are nine or ten arguments for theodicy that you can look up. If you look up theodicy in, in Google, you'll find ten arguments for theodicy, I think. Um, they, not, not one single one of them will win the day. Mm. Maybe altogether they have some weight. But what I've found interesting is there's often a lack of mention of what I think is the most important theodicy, and that is the God who is with us mm. in the midst of evil and who will who has and will prevail against it. Um, speaking also about the now but not yet as an important dimension, God has in Christ conquered sin and death, but um, the, the, the kingdom has come but not yet fully come. Death will finally be destroyed according to 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, so things are not all hunky-dory. Um, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you suffer. And um, the question is, in the midst of that suffering, uh, will you uh, find the presence of God, seek his presence, know his grace, and, and his comfort? Yeah, I've always so appreciated your perspective on mission, uh, your, your perspective on the church and the relational connections that we have, because you really have lifted high the Trinitarian God of the Bible and the sentness of God the Son, Jesus Christ, as he did come into our mess and suffer uh, with us, on our behalf, uh, for us, in our place. And the fact that we have a God who is acquainted with grief is, is a great, is a great uh, apologetic to the watching world around us in the way that we can endure with hope. And so I'm just so grateful for you and your teaching and your writing and your ministry. I'm just grateful for your friendship to our church and really want to just say thank you for coming on our podcast and giving us some categories to think through. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for your, for your work. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Brett. And thank you, Jake. Appreciate your, your work, the work of God that you're doing. You're, you're involved in God's work in the world uh, here in very significant ways. Really, I really do appreciate it. Uh, well, God bless. Thanks so much. Take care. Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.